Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of Mark. The Gospel record of Mark in chapter number 14. The Gospel record of Mark and chapter number 14. We left Jesus this morning at the Garden of Gethsemane as he spent some time with his disciples praying overnight, knowing that Jesus Christ was about to face an illegal trial a stand before Pilate, and then the cross of Calvary. Jesus Christ has already spent time praying and with heaviness and sorrow of heart, such a broken heart that he was about ready to die right then. He was so burdened. But now the festivities begin. Now the things start happening. And Jesus Christ is arrested in the middle of the night and immediately brought into an illegal trial. And we're going to take time tonight to discuss and to explain why this was an illegal trial. And for that, we want to go ahead and get the biblical context. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in the Gospel record of Mark in chapter 14. The Gospel record of Mark chapter 14. And if you don't mind, let's pick it up starting at verse 53. The Gospel record of Mark chapter 14 in verse 53. The Word of God says this, And they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. And Peter followed him afar off, even into the palace of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. And the chief priest and all the council sought for witness against Jesus to put him to death and found none. For many bear false witness against him, but their witnesses agreed not together. And there arose certain and bear false witness against him, saying, We have heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But neither so did their witnesses witness agree together. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witnesses against thee? But he held his peace and answered nothing. Again the high priest asked him and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes and saith, What need we any further witnesses? Ye have heard the blasphemy. What think ye? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to buffet him and to say unto him, Prophesy! And the servants did strike him with the palms of their hands. And as Peter was beneath in the palace, 
there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and say, said, And thou also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch, and the cock crew. And a maid saw him again, and began to say unto them that stood by, This is one of them. And he denied it again. And a little after, they that stood by said unto Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. And he began to curse and swear, saying, I know not this man of whom you speak. And the second time the cock crew. And Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him, Before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he wept. And with this passage here, we could see what is happening here is an illegal trial. According to the old, their own laws, their own Jewish laws, this was an illegal trial. And with the Lord's help, we're going to examine this illegal trial. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you now, we're just asking that you would give us wisdom and give us discernment. Help us to be able to understand what is going on here and how they were so hateful and so determined to kill Jesus that they were willing to violate their own rules, their own laws that they held such high esteem and standards for just because they hated you. Lord, we know that we live in a world that hates you and they're willing to bend their own rules and get rid of their own standards to get rid of you. Lord, help us to have wisdom and discernment now and then make a decision to follow after you. Again, fill me with your spirit. Open this up. Help us to have an understanding of the things that we explain here. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we start this off, the first thing that we want to mention here is the false trial of Jesus. The false trial of Jesus. Now remember, at this time, it's probably about 3 o'clock-ish in the morning. It's still in the dead of night where normal people are sleeping. And yet, there's surprisingly... A lot of people that are awake. You have this little army that has been gathered around the disciples. And the disciples took off and they arrested Jesus in the dead of night. And now they begin to lead him to the palace of the high priest. The high priest's house. Notice if you don't mind as we pick it up in verse 53. And they, this is those army, the, uh, the soldiers, led Jesus away to the high priest. And with him were assembled all the chief priests and elders and scribes. Again, a lot of people are awake, especially for an arrest. You'd almost think that if it was a real legitimate thing and Jesus had been caught stealing or Jesus had been caught murdering or Jesus had been caught in a crime, that it would be a process of getting the correct officials. But instead, as they're leading him away from his arrest, bring him in, you already have the scribes and the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, already ready for him. They're already ready for the trial. They're already awake. They're already in their robes, ready to do business. Notice, again, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. I don't know how many of you are ready at 3 o'clock in the morning in your right mind, ready to go and ready to pronounce judgment on something, but notice this goes on. 
And Peter followed him afar off, even into the palace of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself by the fire. And the chief priest and all the council sought for witness against Jesus to put him to death and found none. So here as they begin to call witnesses, imagine this. They arrested Jesus. They brought him 3 o'clock in the morning. There's a lot of people awake. Not only are the judges, the council, the scribes, the Pharisees, everybody there. The witnesses are there ready to testify at 3 o'clock in the morning. That's pretty amazing that they're already there. And now as they start saying, who will accuse this man? They have people coming up one by one, telling a story, giving a false witness. But the problem is, is that no one will agree. No, everyone has a different story. Everyone has a different version. Everyone has something different. You have one person who raises his hand, I'll testify against him. And they'll give an skewed account. But there was no one else that could collaborate to agree with him, to match his story. Everyone has different stories fluctuating. And so this is kind of frustrating because, or at least to the chief priest and to the judges, they're trying to get someone to, to agree together. But everyone has different stories. Everyone has different lies. Everyone has different reasons why to hate Jesus. And they're all listing why they think Jesus should be arrested. Why Jesus should be put to death. But they weren't agreeing together. Notice verse um, 56 for many bear false witness against him, but their witness agreed not together. And there arose certain and bearing false witness against him, saying, so here it gives an example. So this one guy, as an example, says, oh, I heard him. He said he will destroy the temple that is made with hands. And within three days, I will build another temple without hands. And so the temple is one of the, the biggest parts of the Jewish belief. And without the temple, they cannot continue with their belief. And so he is false witnesses that Jesus said he's going to destroy this temple in three days. And then with his, with his own hands, he's going to build a new temple with the idea that this is going to be a false temple that's dedicated to Jesus instead of the true and living God. And he, the, he gives this example. Now, did Jesus say that? Yes. But they missed what he was saying. Jesus said, I'm going to die. This temple is going to die. Three days, it's going to be risen again. And that's what he was teaching. But they're taking his things and the, everyone's taking apart. But they're not agreeing together. No one has the same story. But everyone has a story. And they're taking things out of context. They're lying. Even if they knew that Jesus said something different, they're purposely turning and twisting his words. When it finds out that none of their witnesses agreed together in verse 59, the high priest says, all right, after a while, you can imagine an hour of this. Now, how patient would you be if you were arrested in the middle of the night and showed up to a monkey trial and everyone's there and the witnesses are already there prepared for you as soon as you get arrested? And for an hour, you hear people misusing your words and taking out of context, all with the idea that they want to kill you and they're looking for a reason. How patient would you be? What would your face be like? Would you uh, have kind of a dour look? Would you have that mom stare shooting lasers into them? Would you, uh, <coughs> how would your countenance be after an hour of listening all this? Finally, the high priest realizes that they're not going to get enough witnesses together. 
So he tries to trip up Jesus himself. <clears throat> Notice, if you don't mind, we see the, um, the false trial of Jesus, but then we see the admission of Jesus. The admission of Jesus. Notice this, the high priest comes in verse 60. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Answerest thou nothing? Again, for a full hour... Again, I'm presuming it's an hour. However long it took for the witnesses to come out. Could be longer, could be less. But for whatever amount of time as person after person after person comes who happens to be awake at 3 o'clock in the morning and I guess was just passing by making this accusation and Jesus hasn't said nothing. Hasn't even said a holy grunt. Didn't say, why are you saying that? You're twisting my... He hasn't said anything. So the high priest is Jesus... Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? Meaning that, what do you say to their accusations? What do you say to them? And Jesus answered, nothing. He held his peace. He didn't say a thing. Again, the high priest asked him, he said, fine, we're going to have to do this the hard way. Let's just ask a question. Art thou the Christ or the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of the blessed, meaning God. Are you the son of God? Are you the anointed one? Are you the one that's promised of God? Jesus said, I am. Yep, that's me. He says, and ye shall see the son of man sitting on the right hand of power, meaning right beside God and the coming in the clouds of heaven. And so when this happened, Jesus admitted that he was God. But here the high priest took this as, as proof. Notice what the high priest does. And the high priest rent his clothes and saith, What need we any further witnesses? So this trial has gone off the rails. They can't get anyone. Wait, we don't need witnesses. We have from his own admission his own guilt. He admitted that he is a blasphemer. Now at this time, let me show you several reasons why this was an illegal trial. And I've got lots of notes. Let me try to uh, uh, give you an understanding what's going on and why it's illegal. Now, the Jewish people had set up a pretty elaborate legal system with the idea to protect those people who were falsely accused, to protect the innocent. They did not want to put to death someone who, uh, who was innocent, and so they had different rules. You... Um, uh, elaborate thing. It wasn't just an idea of a lynch mob. This was not a lynch mob. It was a court of law. And a court of law that was run after rules and organization. And yet, they broke their own laws. For example, the Jewish law prohibited any part of legal proceedings by night. Meaning they, they want to prevent a lynch mob, so it's illegal for them to have a meeting at night. Well, what time are we at? Three o'clock in the morning. It's night. In fact, they've assembled so quickly and, and did things, they didn't even invite the whole court. They only invited the people that they knew hated Jesus. That was one of the reasons why they didn't meet at night. That they wanted to have clear thinking. They didn't want things to be rushed. They wanted things not to say, oh man, time's running out. Um, so they had different rules. One of them is you couldn't have it at night. Three o'clock in the morning is night. Or at least it is. If you don't believe it, wake up at three o'clock and see if it's not night outside. All right? 
Also, no session of the court could take place before the offering of the morning sacrifice. Now, the Hebrew people had an elaborate religious system. And they had a certain time in the morning where they would make a morning sacrifice inside of the temple and they would sing certain psalms, they would offer a sacrifice, and they would uh, praise the Lord for the day that they had. And uh, there would be something for it. And so this makes sense. No one's going to have any business until we worship God first. Let's worship God, do all of this stuff, put God first. Then we will take care of the legal matters. Well, three o'clock in the morning is way before the morning ritual. Once again, they've broken their own law. It's not time yet. No court of justice in Israel was permitted to hold sessions on the Sabbath or any of the seven biblical holidays. In case you are trying to wonder where this is, this is the Passover, one of their biggest holidays. And it was illegal to have it, to hold the session on any of the biblical holidays. In cases of capital crime, no trial could be commenced on Friday or the day previous to any holiday. Now remember, we're going to see them that when they put Jesus on the cross, they're going to beg for his body. So that way his body is buried before the religious day started, which is at sundown. And so this is the day before the actual ceremony. So it's illegal. Why, why is it illegal, by the way? Because it was not lawful to adjourn such cases longer than overnight or continue them over the Sabbath, the holiday. So they didn't want to start a capital case, meaning a case that had the, the threat of death penalty on it. You didn't want to have it on the day before the weekend because you didn't want the case to extend that long. You didn't want someone to have to wait over the weekend. And you didn't want people to be doing work by thinking about the case and uh, how we're going to process it. And so you couldn't start a case on the day right before a holiday. They wanted people to have time to think about it. They didn't want people to hurry up and come to a decision so that way we could go to holiday. <clears throat> Something else about this trial is that a criminal case resulting in the acquittal of the accused may terminate the same day which it began. Meaning that if somebody started a case and they said, this guy's innocent, you could quit the case the same day. But if a sentence of death is to be pronounced, it cannot be conducted before the following day. Meaning that if you were going to have a case of a capital crime, it had to extend two days. Because you didn't want someone to come to a rush decision. After all, taking someone's life is a serious thing. And so it needed to extend two days. So you could hear the court case and then come to deliberations the next day if that's what was necessary. So that way uh, you could sleep on it. You could think about it. You had time to... to uh, meditate on it. So it had to go at least two days. It couldn't just be here, just part of it, and then off with his head. Here's an interesting law that they had. A simultaneous and unanimous verdict of guilt rendered on the day of the trial had the effect of an acquittal. Meaning that if everyone came to the same decision at the same time and it was rushed, meaning that he's guilty, he's guilty, under Jewish court law, that was the same as acquittal because there's something wrong. There should be someone that says, wait, let's think about this for a second. By the way, that's exactly what happened. It says in verse 
uh, 64. Ye have heard the blasphemy. What think ye? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. By the way, it has only been an hour or two. That is it. That's it. And yet the Jewish court says it has to be during the day, over a two-day period, have time to think about it. But instead, they had these false witnesses come. They had uh, Jesus admit blasphemy. And immediately, right then and there, they all pronounced guilty. According to the Jewish thing, Jesus is innocent. Because you can't come to a quick decision like this. Something else that we see with this, or understand with the Jewish legal law. Now, they've broken a lot of law so far. I still got another page. Think about this. No one could bring accusation against himself. Should a man make a confession of guilt before a legally constituted tribunal, which this was not, such confession is not to be said against him unless properly attested by two witnesses. Now, in our English system of law, one witness was enough to condemn someone to death. But in the Hebrew system, you needed two witnesses. So if someone committed murder, you would have two witnesses that said, I saw him do it for it to be considered uh, legally binding. Because they did not want someone to make a false... um, Claim, I did it, I'm guilty. They didn't want someone to be coerced to say that they murdered someone or they did something wrong without someone else collaborating the evidence. They, did, they were trying. You see, this system was actually made to protect the innocent people. Amen. And they're breaking all of these rules because Jesus is innocent and it's not going to fly according to the rules. In order to condemn them, they have to break them all. A sentence of death could be pronounced only as long as the Sanhedrin holds its sessions in the appointed place. What we're seeing here is they're not in the appointed place. They're in the high priest house. They're not in the official meeting of the Sanhedrin. And by the way, all the Sanhedrin is not invited. Don't you think Nicodemus from John chapter 3, who was part of the Sanhedrin, would have said, hey, you know what? This is not right. He wasn't invited. There was others who of the Sanhedrin who had accepted Christ. None of them were invited. They only invited the people. They weren't at the right place. It wasn't the legal time. It wasn't set up. Can you imagine going to bed and in the next morning waking up and saying, Hey, we caught that Jesus guy last night and we condemned him to death. Well, I'm one of the judges. How come you didn't tell me? There was some monkey business going on. There must not be a judicial bench of either a relation or a particular friend or an enemy of either the accused or the accuser. Well, we already know the high priest was Jesus' enemy. He should have recused himself and said, No, if we're going to have this right, everyone knows that I publicly said I hated Jesus. So, you know, not me. But no, he wanted Jesus to die. Again, this is a good system That they had and they broke it all. Just to condemn Jesus. Jesus was allowed no defense. Under Hebrew law you were allowed a defense. He didn't have anyone defending him. He didn't even have Peter outside. To kind of say hey you know what. Let me tell you. That lady who just said um, that Jesus is going to destroy 
of the temple in his hands. She's lying. She missed. He, he didn't have anybody to speak up and refute any of these witnesses. He didn't have anyone defending him. And in fact, the only time he spoke is when the high priest said, Hey, are you God? Yes. That's all we need. He didn't have any kind of defense. And they didn't allow him any defense. It was only a partial meeting of the Sanhedrin. Other members were not convened, making it illegal. They only invited the people. Again, at 3 o'clock in the morning, isn't it amazing that all these people happen to be up and ready to go, ready to proceed? It's because they only got the people that they knew would make this guilty journey. It didn't matter what they said, what Jesus said. They were already ready to pronounce guilty no matter what. They were just trying to put some kind of sham that this was a legal trial. Something else that made this illegal is that Jesus was found guilty of blasphemy. But when they brought him to the Romans, they changed the charge to sedition. or The idea that he was trying to overthrow the Roman government. But that's not what he was found guilty of. In fact, Roman, uh, the way that the Roman Empire had set up is that the Hebrews could put people um, to trial, but only the Romans could execute death. And if they brought Jesus to Pilate and said, hey, he claimed to be God, Pilate would have said, go home. But with the idea that Jesus is trying to overthrow the Roman government, Pilate was forced to carry the case. But they changed the verdict. That's not what he was found guilty of here. And he wasn't guilty of breaking Roman law, only Jewish law. And so with all of this, this was an illegal trial. It was set up on purpose. There was no way that they could ever come to a guilty verdict if they followed their own rules. But they hated Jesus so much that they broke their laws. They violated. They twisted it in order to get what they wanted. But that's not even the worst thing that happened during this time here. We see finally the denial of Jesus. The denial of Jesus. Now Peter is followed off. But he didn't come inside. He stands out warming his hands by the fire. Waiting to see if he could hear what's going on. And they finally start speaking to him. Verse number 66. As Peter was beneath in the palace. There cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself. He looked upon, she looked upon him and said, And thou also was with Jesus of Nazareth. Hey, you're one of those Jesus boys. You were one of the ones that were followers of Jesus. Jesus, when this little maid looks at him, says, verse 68, But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand what thou sayest. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. What are you, who's this Jesus guy? He tried to play dumb and... Immediately, the rooster started to crow. I don't know if he heard it. I presume he did because the Mark is writing this from Peter's perspective, but it didn't register. It was that thing that he heard but didn't pay attention to. And a maid saw him again and began to say to those that stood by. So this time she's not talking to Peter. She's talking to a group of people. They're warming themselves up with fire. I think that's one of those followers of Jesus. That guy over there. Maybe she's pointing at him. Maybe she, they could see everyone looking at him. But he begins to deny. And he denied again. 
No, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just here maybe making up a reason. And in a little while, they that stood by, so those people warming themselves by the fire, they start looking at him and say, wait a second, surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeth thereto. Now remember, we've covered this before, that the people of Galilee uh, were a little bit more less educated, and they had a different dialect. If you would uh, imagine, if you had someone from Tennessee come with their deep draw, I don't know what y'all talking about. Well, you're from the South, right? No, I've been up here in the North all my life. No. And, and so what he does in order to try to cover his tracks, he began to curse and swear. Well, I blankety blank whatever, you know, and in order to prove that he wasn't a Christian, he began to swear and curse. I'm going to prove I'm not a Christian by using foul language, which he was hoping that they would all, oh, well, he's definitely not a follower of Christ if he speaks like that. What great links that Peter went to to distance himself from Christ. Could you imagine what the taste of that foul language would be as soon as he heard that rooster crow that second time? Those words just leaving his mouth and that foul tasting and thinking about the links he just went to to deny who Jesus was. What a breaking hearted place. He denied him three times. It says at the end of verse 72, and when he thought thereon, he wept. He just took off crying and Knowing that he had just failed Jesus. That pit in his stomach. Just deep down knowing that he messed up. Now with it, that was the worst thing that happened in this trial. Sure, Jesus was in a legal trial. Sure, he was sentenced to death. But to have his own disciples, Peter, the leader, deny him in such a public way. Wouldn't stand up for him. Wouldn't stay that they have an illegal trial go on. Not do anything to say, hey, this is wrong. Not go get another official to do anything. But instead, he just denied that he even knew him. Ashamed, afraid of what people would think of him. Now, to be honest, they had Jesus. Were they really going to kill the disciples? No, when she killed Jesus, she got rid of them all. Why was he so ashamed? Because he was afraid of what people would think of him. By the way, isn't that one of the biggest reasons why we don't witness to people? It's not because we're afraid of what they're going to think of Jesus. We're afraid of what they're going to think of me. But when we come here, why is this such a big deal? Because when Jesus Christ died on the cross, and all the things leading up to this, He suffered our hell. And part of going to hell, part of facing God is that you face God all by yourself. When you stand before God, you don't have mommy and daddy there. You won't have your pastor. You won't have your teacher. You won't have your husband or wife. You won't have your kids. You'll be all by yourself. Jesus, in order to suffer the penalty and all the penalty, he had to suffer every little bit of it. 
And part of it is that isolation. Some people believe that in hell, hell's going to be a party. I'm going to see my friends there. You're going to be all by yourself forever and ever. And you're going to stand before God alone. No one's going to be there to speak up for you. No one is going to raise their hand and say, no, but I know they're a good person. No one will defend you. You will be all alone. Jesus had to suffer this and had to suffer alone in order to suffer and pay our price. What a great God that is. But what horrible followers we are to allow our Savior to go undefended to allow people to blaspheme our Savior and not speak up. Not to do anything when people are saying, I hate Jesus, and not to do anything, but sit back and just let them do it. We are living in a world that's increasingly antagonistic to Christ. We're living in a place where it's going to be harder and harder to stand up for the Lord. Now, while we have some relative freedom, we need to make that decision and start making the habit of following after Christ. By the way, in another gospel record, when Jesus was telling Peter, he says, when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. And by the way, Jesus, when he arose from the grave, he went and said, Peter especially, let him know that I'm alive. And you know, when he was converted, that doesn't mean salvation. It means when he was converted to Christ, to, made a decision to follow after him. Part of what he did was strengthen the brethren. He wrote the book of 1 Peter. The book of 1 Peter is written about 64 AD. 70 AD, the temple is going to be destroyed by the Romans. And the big thrust of 1 Peter is persecution is around the corner. Now you need to stand for Christ while you have the freedom to develop the habit of obeying Christ because soon it's going to be very hard. We're living in that 1 Peter day. This country is not going to get better unless revival hits. Amen. Now is the time where we need to be in 1 Peter and developing the habit of obedience to Christ now before the people get antagonistic to us. And if you don't have the habit of standing for Christ, you will not stand for Christ when people are against you. Now is the time. We can see this in Peter's life. He's writing from his own personal failures and say, Now, let me tell you, you have to develop the habit of standing for Christ. Persecution is right around the corner. Now's the time where you have to stand for him. And if you stand for him now, you'll probably stand for him later. But if you can't stand up for Christ now, if you can't freely admit that you're a follower of Christ now, you will not do it when people are knocking at your door and saying, are you one of those people going to church? It's going to be hard to be faithful to God if you're not in the habit of it when pressure is on. Now is the time 
to start developing your own habit of not denying Christ, of living for him, of dying to self and say, it doesn't matter what people think about me. It all matters what they think about him. This is why that song, I've decided to follow Jesus, is so important. It's easy to say, but is it true? Are you making that decision to follow after Christ? Are you making that decision to follow after him? For Peter, before he was converted, before he made that decision, all it did, all it took was some little girl to say, I think he follows after Jesus. Nuh-uh! Am not. All it took was some people to look over there and say, I think he is for him to start cursing and swearing to distance himself from Christ. We live in a relatively safe part of our country comparatively to what's going on. But it's coming. It's coming. The time to develop the habit of following after Christ is shorter than you ever think. Are you the type of people that's willing to say, I'm still going to church when it's illegal? It's coming. I wish I didn't have to say that, but it's coming. Are you the type of people that say, I'm going to be in my Bible when they say we can't have a Bible no more? It's coming. It's coming. Are you willing to witness to people and still tell people about Christ even when they say it's illegal to do that? It's coming. It's coming. If you won't do it now, you will not do it then. Now is the time to follow after Christ. To make that decision to follow after Him. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three oh eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.